Can I get a witness? That's right. Today we're talking about what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? What does it mean as we do that in a community of faith? We're going to check it out in this installment of the Tower Hill Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church. This is Pastor Jason. Wherever you are listening to us today, in your car, on your way to work, on your way from work, working out, or whatever it is that you're doing, I pray that you feel God's presence in your life and that this podcast can help you as you continue to grow closer to Him. Well, we had our latest installment of the Gospel in Life series talking about what it means to be a witness Not just a witness individually, but what does it look like as a community of faith to be a witness of a different way of life? You know, for me, when I came to faith, uh, as many of you know, and I talk about often, is that I wasn't raised in the church. But when I came to faith, it was really the witness of other Christians, of a community of faith that drew me in, even before I understood who God was or what it meant to be a Christian or to be a follower of Jesus. I was drawn by the community. I was truly one of those people who felt like they belonged before they believed. And the belief came later. But it was the personal experience, the acceptance, the love, the sense of family and community that drew me in. And as you'll hear in the sermon today, Uh, That really was how God formed me and shaped me and reached out to me. It was through the community and their witness. So I hope that you enjoyed today's message. Just a couple of things about some stuff going on. Uh, If you're having a hard time getting to church on Sunday morning, you are not alone. We are trying to help you with that. We do have a service Sunday nights at 6 p.m. in our renovated youth space that we call The Attic. And we're doing it every week until November. November 12th is the last week in this series, and then we'll hopefully kick it off again in the new year. But we're trying to give folks an alternative time. There's child care up till fifth grade, kindergarten to fifth grade. So we don't want that to be a barrier for you to come and to have a time of worship. But the other thing that, and we've heard this from a lot of people who come, that the other thing that's so appealing is that it's just different. It's a whole different style of service. It's set up like a coffee house. It's very laid back. There's some singing. Uh, I'll say a prayer. And then we really kind of launch into the message. And what's different about this is that there's some time in the middle of the message that we hit the pause button and we have a conversation about it, conversation with folks who are there in the service. And it's really cool. And uh, so if you want to come and or if you've never experienced that or you find that life is too busy on Sunday mornings, you could certainly listen to the podcast, but there is no substitute for being there live. And so we want to invite you to Tower Hill Nights, 6 o'clock this Sunday night. And if you're listening in real time, this goes all the way till November 12, 2017. And hopefully we'll start it up again on the other side of 2018. Oh, my gosh. I can't even think about that. 2018 already. Um. Anyway, I I pray that this blesses you, and more than that, helps you think about how you can be part of a community of witness to reach those who so desperately want to belong. And so here you go. Here's the next part in our series, The Gospel in Life, Witness. The word that we're looking at today is witness. 
that the church has been created and called to be a witness. So, what does a witness do? Hopefully, you know, good witness. A witness will testify to what really happened. A witness will testify to what they have seen and heard. What is the true story? That is what a witness does. And so what does it mean that we as a church are witnesses, that we are testifying to what we have seen and heard as God's people, seen and heard in Jesus Christ? What does that mean for us? Well, I think it really gets back to the question that Pilate asked, right? What is truth? What is the truth that we are testifying to? The truth is this. From Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, by the way, listen, I know I'm not supposed to have favorites, but I think Ephesians might be my favorite. Ephesians is just a just beautiful theology. And the first chapter of Ephesians is very majestic. It talks about what God has done from the creation of all things up until the time of Jesus. It's this big, like sweeping, epic story of what God has done. And he gets to this part, and this part's so crucial. And he says that God placed Christ over all the things that, that God created and everything that happened with sin and everything. This is what he says. That he placed him far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's really a remarkable saying that Jesus Christ, he is the one with all power and authority in the present age and the age to come. So let's, uh, this is really important. Let's talk first about the present age. What does it mean that Jesus is above all in the present age. Well, the present age is it's just what you might think it is. It's the age ever since sin entered the world. It's, it's the way things currently are. It's like we're all born, because of sin, we're all born in a dark room and we're fumbling around because there's no light. This is the present age where sin reigns, where sin is having an effect on the world, on people, on relationships. It's like, if you go all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve, It is the fundamental brokenness of humanity. Think about it. When sin enters the world, Adam and Eve, they are alienated spiritually. They are alienated socially and emotionally, even physically. It is the world that has been broken, and we are all experiencing different degrees of alienation from God and from one another. It's the place where there is injustice, where there is racial tension, where there is tragedy, This is the present age. Jesus has been placed in all authority over that age. One way that Paul, who wrote Ephesians, understands this to be is that when sin entered the world, he believes that sin, or specifically Satan, kind of the embodiment of evil, was sitting on the throne, right? Was was reigning over the age. And you would see in in the middle of this darkness, you would get little pockets of God's light through the prophets and the priests and the kings and the, and the judges. And all you would get these moments of light in the dark room. But the darkness was still in control, was still reigning because of sin. Then when Jesus came, he kicked over that throne. He kicked evil out of it, kicked sin out of it. And then he, he put himself, God put him on that throne. So he reigns, even though it's a world that is still tampered by the darkness, sin no longer reigns because Jesus brought something with him. And by way of the cross, he brought something 
that can't be undone. He brought with him the power of the kingdom of God. It's like when Jesus conquered sin and death by his death on the cross. He opened the door of that dark room to show us the kingdom of God that was awaiting for us. The age to come. The age where there is no more racial injustice. No more tension. No more poverty. No more tears. No more alienation. The place where all things are made new. When everything is reconciled, even as our psalm in our opening video, even the trees are going to shout out. As everything is made new, the promise of the kingdom of God. The light. Jesus brought that power with him. And so what we see in Jesus is we see a glimpse of the hope. The glimpse of the age that is to come. And Jesus is the ruler over both. He is placed in that position of authority over both. So, this has huge implications for us. What does it mean for us when we're living in this present age, but at the same time we have this hope of the age to come? We're living between the ages. So how are we supposed to live? And that's when Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, when people look at the people of God, they're supposed to see a glimpse of the age that's to come. In the middle of this dark and dying world, they're supposed to see a light. We're not always very good at that, are we? Churches don't have the best track record of being seen as the light of the world. So let me tell you what this looks like in action. I want to tell you a story about somebody who I know you don't know. Her name was Agnes Vivian Sales. Born in 1923 in Black Hawk County, Iowa. She went to Iowa State. She got her teaching certificate. In 1942, she was a government girl. She went to Washington, D.C. and worked for the War Department in 1942 during World War II. Eventually, in 1950, she moved to Monrovia, California. And it was at age 27 that she fell in love with Christian education, teaching kids about Jesus. She uh, was volunteering at her church, and she became so good at writing curriculum, they sent her to Nashville to write for the United Methodist Church. She was writing curriculum. In 1963, uh, she, had, she had a husband. Husband passed away. Uh, she had remarried. She had moved to Pasadena and was working at, at Caltech while at the same time volunteering at her church. And then in 1983, she took a job as the Christian ed director of the First United Methodist Church of Glendale, California. First United Methodist was beautiful. It's a beautiful sanctuary. It's, it's incredible the way the stained glass kind of comes in. And um, the reason why I know this church well is because my mother ran a preschool inside of this church. We never went to church. She ran the preschool in the church. And because she ran the preschool in the church, we had to join the church. 
So I had to get baptized. This is where I was baptized. Did not matter anything to me. Mom said, you got to go and get baptized. Go get baptized. Okay, fine. Whatever. I want you to have a job. But it's here that I met Agnes Sales. Agnes Sales was 72 years old. And she saw this little unchurched preteen dude with fuzzy blonde hair who was hanging around the preschool when he had days off of school because he had nowhere to go. So his mom would make him stay at the preschool. She knew I wasn't down for Sunday school. I wasn't going to any VBS. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. I was not a church kid. Agnes knew that. So she invited me to be her helper for Vacation Bible School. And after a little arm twisting from my parents, I did it. And there I was, me and Agnes, all day. We're filling little Cheez-Its for the kids, you know. I'm like, how do I get myself into this, you know, I'm I want to help out in the kitchen. I'm getting, you know, preparing all the things for VBS. I'm setting up the large group areas. I even helped to run the games. And I didn't even know it at the time. But Agnes, through Agnes, God was preparing me for a whole life I couldn't have even imagined in service. I had such a great time with Agnes that the next year I asked if I could do that again. I still didn't really know Jesus. But I knew that with Agnes, I've just found somebody who really loved me and wanted me to belong. It was Agnes who introduced our family to uh, the YMCA right next door, two blocks away, had a summer camp on Catalina Island, Camp Fox. Camp Fox, that is literally a summer camp, YMCA camp on Catalina Island. No joke, it's even prettier in person. Any kid in the YMCA can go, I mean, you pay, but you got to go to this camp. Agnes introduced us to Camp Fox, so I joined. I went. YMCA camp, not particularly uh, overtly religious, except they had an optional program you could do when you're at camp called the Raggers Program. Go to the next one. That's what they look like. Every year you went to camp, you had the opportunity to earn a new, they called them a rag. And in order to earn a rag, you had to learn things. The blue rag, I had to learn the Lord's Prayer. It was optional, right? They couldn't make it do this. So I wanted to join. I wanted to be a part of it. I heard they had a secret spot in camp that only they were allowed to go to. I wanted in. On the secret. So I learned the Lord's Prayer. At the time, it didn't mean anything other than a means to an end. I wanted in. And the next year, Apostles' Creed. So on and so on. I went back every year. And during that time, I was being shaped because of Agnes, because of the influence of the church in my life. And it was five years later at another camp that I finally gave my life to Jesus.
the important thing about this story is that I didn't go to church and yet the church went to me and shaped me and formed me and changed my life forever. They were a witness of the light of the age to come in my life. I think about Agnes. Her nickname was Agnes of God. I thought that was funny. (laughs) Agnes only stayed at that church for five years. It was a blip in her life. But it changed mine forever. How many people, ages 72 and up, feel like the best things, the most important things they've done in their life are over? Not so. Not saying I was the most important thing. Don't hear that wrong. Not that we're failing Agnes' life, but... But the point is, what if she thought, well, you know, I'm just not going to take that job at age 72. I knew the community of God before I understood what it was because I felt it. It was different than anything I had experienced. It was a place where I could feel like I belonged, where I experienced love and joy and peace in a way that I just didn't have. Or didn't see in the rest of my life. And the rest of my life was fine. I mean, I had stuff going on at home, but I had, a, I mean, I had an okay childhood. You know, we, we got to do things. It wasn't like I was just so deprived. But when I saw this, I, I wanted in. I didn't even know why. I knew when I saw it that this community was different. This was a witness to something that I didn't imagine. It was a church. I mean, 1992, when I finally took on faith, the church is a light. This is the way uh, Tim Keller describes it. He says, the church is an alternate city. In other words, it's as everything It's a glimpse of everything that will be and should be. When sin is completely eradicated and everything is made new and there's reconciliation, the kingdom of God will be the place where there are no more tears and no more pain. No more injustice, comfort, peace, mercy. We will all see God together. The kingdom of God means That we, as followers of Jesus, who've experienced wholeness in a relationship with him, we then become the light for a world that is still in that dark room looking for a way out. We are the light. I never went to church, but the church went to me. So what does that look like? When I look back on my story, and I look at, how the church shaped me even before I was a part of it. I think about what what are the distinctives? Uh, What does it look like to live as the church? And how did those things affect me? The first thing, uh, and these come from uh, Tim Keller's points, is that he says, and I agree, that the alternate city is gospel speaking. It's gospel speaking. 
Here's the thing. If all the church ever did, I mean, it was important that they showed me love and they showed me, um, you know, that I could be long and they cared for me. But they also told me about Jesus. If they never said anything, I would never know the context of their good deeds. I would think, oh, they're just being good. That's very kind of them. That's very nice of them to include this little annoying kid. But it was more than that. The reason they did these good things was even more important. The reason that they reached out to me and showed me love was because they believed they were called to be a light in the darkness. That because of what Jesus did for them, they were going to go out and speak that into my life. Let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says this. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's the most important part, right? How many of you have been talked at with the gospel? Yeah. You will believe in Jesus or else. You horrible sinner. You're speaking the gospel, but you're speaking it with gentleness and respect. Here's, let me put it this way. Let's say a little, a little me or a little 12 or 13 year old comes up to you and asks you for the reason that you're coming to church. Why do you come to church? Why does this matter? Why is this important in your life? What would you say? If you don't know what to say, I think God wants to tell you, you got to be ready to share why. Why does all this matter? Are we just a bunch of nice people gathering together to say nice things and do nice things for one another? Or is there something more? Is there something else deeper that drives us? Where does our hope come from? I'm so thankful that Agnes shared that with me, even though I wasn't ready to accept that. She shared it anyway, and it planted a seed that would grow later. I wish, oh, I wish so badly I could have talked to her before she passed away so that she could know. She knows now. But man, I wish I could have told her the impact she had on my life. The alternate city is gospel speaking. Here's the other thing. The alternate city is also neighbor loving. Who is our neighbor? Jesus talked a lot about this. So the regular greeting for a Jewish person in the day of Jesus would be to wish somebody shalom. So you see another Jewish person, you wish them shalom, which is God's wholeness and completeness. May God bless you in fullness in your life. And then an embrace. You understand how radical this is. What, what Jesus was saying is, you are to do that with everybody. Everybody's your neighbor. Not just the people that you know and love and care about and look like you. Even people that are the same re- religion. It goes beyond that. Your neighbor is everyone. He told a a parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember this parable? 
It was all the religious people, all the people that should have done it right, passed by somebody who was suffering in pain. And it was the Samaritan. What made that important was that Samaritans were enemies of the Jews. They were enemies of God's people. They saw, in Jesus' day, they saw Samaritans as the bad guy. And Jesus tells a story where the Samaritan's the hero. Because he's showing that loving your neighbor breaks down all walls. We should be showing our love to absolutely everybody that exists. Period. Now, it doesn't mean that you just agree with everybody's choices. And, you know, that, that's, I mean, that's not love. You just think about, you know, your own kids or when you, you were a kid to your parents. You know, it's like love is, it, it, love is in spite of <laughs> even sometimes making the wrong choice. It's not just condoning anything and everything that happens. Everything goes because we love you. No, we love you so much. We just want to share with you how God changed our lives. We love you. We care for you. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what you look like, what you do. I love you. And I'm here to say that I want to love you as my neighbor and I want to serve you. That's the church. It's an alternate city. It's not one we're used to seeing. It's a glimpse of the city that is to come. Matthew 5.47, Jesus puts it this way. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? If you just show love to the people you love, right? you just show love to the people in your little circle of life, what? how's that so radical? What if all of us, what if all of us just in our neighborhoods started just loving literally our neighbors? Like what would that look like? You see, like they forgot to leave and they left the trash can out on the curb or something. You pick it up and, I don't know, invite them. That's the thing. Personal invitation. Personal invitation is so important. That's what Agnes did to me. There's power in being invited, isn't there? It's like, uh, it's like you get invited to go to a wedding. And you know you can't go. And you feel bad about it. However, you'd be really ticked if you hadn't been invited. (laughs) There's honor in the invitation. The invitation means something. God is all about... This is why I think the church exists, by the way. So that we become personal invitations to the world. You are invited to see a glimpse of the kingdom of God. You are hereby invited. God sends personal invitations to fulfill his mission all the time to all who are lost. Think about this. God sends personal invitations. Who did he send to the world? He sent his son. And then who did he send? The Holy Spirit. And then who did he send? The church. Not things, but people, relationships. God sends personal invitations to fulfill his mission. And he is sending you. We are the personal invitation for the age to come.
So what does that look like? It means that we, as a gospel community, we need to be transformed in community. We need to look more like the age to come than the present age. That's the job of the church. That's how we're going to be a light of the world. The alternate city is community transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2 puts it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I find that interesting. It may be coincidence, it may not, that it's a plural into a singular. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It feels like a communal act. That we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the world. Not just as individuals. Agnes wasn't working apart from the church. She was working as an extension of the church into my life. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, why are churches dying? Why are churches dying out there? We've talked about this before. They're dying because they have forgotten that their whole mission is to show the world a glimpse of the city to come. If we're all not down for that right here at Tower Hill, I suggest you find another church. Because this is what we're doing. We're doing everything we can to bring as many as we can with us. So that they can experience the love and peace and joy of Jesus Christ. To feel what it's like to not be alienated anymore. To not be fumbling around in the darkness. Now the question is, will they know it when they see it? When I saw Agnes and I was part of that experience at Camp Fox and I was at the other camp, Kirkwood, where I became a Christian, I knew that there was something different about them. I knew it when I saw it. I could feel it. There's something about this that's different. When people look at us, when they look at Tower Hill, do they see the light of the world? I know this this is a big calling. It's hard. It's tough to not feel a lot of pressure or to think I'm not good enough. We all know. None of us are good enough. Hence our need for a Savior. But he's going to equip us. The light that we have is borrowed light. (laughs) He, He gives it to us. We don't conjure it ourselves. And if we just trust and rely on God, that light will keep burning bright. Like all those experiences of community in my life, will they see the kingdom of God in the way that we pray in our prayer? Will they see it in our generosity? Will they see it in our hospitality? 
What is our witness? Is our witness, does it look more like the present age or the age to come? Because listen, so many churches, and nobody's exempt from the danger. So many churches, they're known for, for their anger. Or they're known for their divisiveness. Or maybe their lack of compassion for the world around them. When we start figuring out how to live as the light of the world, it will transform us as well as anyone who sees us. Even if they don't understand it, even if they're not even ready for it, they will feel like they want to belong. What does it look like when that's really going well? It looks like Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the church. This is who we are called to be. And when we start living like this, we start to learn how to live the gospel in life.